Hi, everyone. It is season two of the Let It Be podcast. I'm your host, Becky Sigenfus. Join my friends and me as we share conversations about little things, big things, all the things. This is your time. So whatever you have to do, let it go, let it wait, let it be. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of the Let It Be podcast. It is the week of Valentine's Day. And so I thought it might be a little fun to invite my husband, Andy, back onto the show. And so we're going to answer some of your questions. If you followed along with us on social media, there were two different opportunities to shoot us some questions about relationships. And although we have never, ever touted ourselves as being experts at marriage, we have learned a lot of things over the last almost 22 years that we have been married. So we hope to share a little bit of insight with you. And hey, babe, thanks for coming on my podcast to celebrate one of your favorite Hallmark holidays, Valentine's Day. No doubt. Absolutely love Valentine's Day. Thanks for the invite, babe. Glad to be here. <laughs> He's totally lying. <laughs> um, we, we both kind of feel the same way about Valentine's Day. We do like to celebrate our love, but the whole concept of Valentine's Day, we've just come off of the heels of Christmas and and now the pressure's on. It is. <laughs> and you see all the commercials for Sherry's Berries and Roses in a Box and <laughs> I know you don't like any of that. So no. trying to buy something for you for Valentine's Day is pretty challenging. I know. Well, I don't know how many women love flowers. A lot of people do. That's like a love language for them. But it's not for me. So no, <laughs> so so. Makes, my taste is more expensive. Right. I that, like things that sparkle. <laughs> true. That is, that is true. Well, thanks for being willing to share some of our stories and our insight, um, on this cold, crisp Saturday morning before mm -hmm. Valentine's day. We're doing something a little bit different this Valentine's day because we're going to be with some friends in a different, a different state. So they're going to take us take us on the town. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking fun. forward to that. That'll be fun. So we have a few questions. Actually, we got a lot of questions from you. Some of them we have combined because they were similar and, and the rest um, we're going to try to get through as many as we possibly can. So we're just going to dive in. I don't think we're going to go in any particular order and then uh, okay. we'll answer some of the fun ones at the end. Is that good with you? Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. So one of the first ones that came in was how did we meet? Do you remember, do you remember how we met? And then I want to see if you remember our first date. So how did we meet? Um, I, I think it was tennis class in our freshman year or uh, during our freshman year in college. I know we were friends long before we ever dated. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and I had to take, and you did too, clearly, some kind of a phys ed class. Right. As like a gen ed yeah. class. Yeah. So we met there and uh, we were friends for a long time, I think, before we ever started dating. Yeah. We yeah. actually met. You probably don't remember this, but um, my friend Rebecca and you were on like the, so we went to college together. We should probably say that. Yeah, we, we went did, to college yeah. together. We met our freshman year. My friend Rebecca was on this like on-campus worship band. Is that what it was that you were part of? And that was when our school at the time had like a Sunday night church service mm -hmm. for kids who didn't have cars, which were right. basically the freshmen. Everybody that was a freshman. <laughs> yeah. And she had, she was, sing, she sung on the team and then you played guitar. Maybe you sung too. Sang, sung, sang. I don't I don't know. My mom is probably cringing right now because she's grammatically perfect. That's one of the, the ones I mess up every time. So I'm not going to help She was you. a singer on the team. Yes. And you played guitar. True. And I remember her coming back one night talking about how fun you were and that you were really cute. And she was like, you should meet him. And that was kind of it. And we, we mm -hmm. probably met in passing, but then that spring, yes, we had tennis class together. Right. Yeah. She and I were on like a, a, a campus band kind yeah. of thing where on the weekends we would go to various churches around uh, the city and, and kind of minister to the people, give the pastors a break. Yeah. And then uh, during the school oh, right. week, yeah. we would on occasion play. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, right. That's probably where. We, we first were acquainted. Yeah. Yep. And then I do remember our sophomore year, 
that I had kind of started to like you and you had asked me out. Do you remember mm-hmm. this? It was I a double so. date. Mm-hmm. And it was a double date with, I'm going to name drop Chris and Carrie Brown because they're now married. Mm-hmm. Oh, now married. I mean, they've been married, married longer than we time, have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I was going to, I had already been invited to go to a 21st birthday party for one of my friends. And so I extended the invitation to you. But anyone who knows Andy, he's a little bit more of an introvert. And so that was not like a comfortable no, I didn't want to scenario that. that you wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, we'll just do it another time. And do you know what you did that night? I did. I think I invited somebody else to go with me. Yes, And then we ended up dating. Yep. (laughs) You did. You missed it. You missed it. (laughs) So, girls, if there's someone you have your eye on, don't let the opportunity pass because they might ask someone else out. Yeah. And then they'll date for a while. I think, yeah, we did date for a while, like 10 or 11 months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but then we came back junior year. Yeah, I came back junior year. uh, Just got connected early junior year and um, I don't want to sound like too surfacey, but we were just like, Hey, we've been friends for a long time. We ought to explore this and see if there's anything else mm-hmm. to this. And mm-hmm. do you remember our first date? Um, I, I don't, you don't. Well, because I was in a show, I was doing a, a theater show at our school. And I remember anyone who's in a show, it just is pretty much all consuming in the beginning. And so we couldn't find a night to like go out. And so when oh, we yeah. finally did, we went to that tiny that little, little Chinese, Chinese place <laughs> up in Xenia. That, that I think has been shut down by the health department. Yep. Should have been shut down then. <laughs> but yeah, we went there. Yeah. So it wasn't really, it wasn't like a really, man, kids today, they have like very formal date invites. Mm. Whereas ours was really super casual. So that's yeah. how we met. Yeah. Um, I don't know that anyone would make a movie out of it, but no. that's our story. So an, another one on the heels of that, what attracted you to each other? And then how did you know that he or she was the one? Hmm. Uh, I'll go first. I We actually just had this conversation not too long ago. Yeah, we did. I would say you were you were fun, and that sounds so surfacy, <laughs> but that's who I was as a 19, 20-year-old guy. You were fun. Um you had a car, <laughs> which was great. And there was actually a bag phone in your car. Yeah. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Um, and we just had a great time together. I think that's what first attracted me to you. And that's the question. <laughs> so let's not lose sight of the question. That's what first attracted me to you. A lot of other things came in as we developed our relationship. But that's what first did it for me was the car. The car and, and I'm were fun. fun. <laughs> Oh, it's so endearing. So for me, it was that I'm going to go a lot deeper. (laughs) You had just gotten back from a missions trip to Australia. And like a lot of those experiences, when you come back from those things, the relationship with the Lord is just real and prominent and at the forefront of everything you do. And that I saw that in you. I heard you talk about it. And Mm -hmm. um, that was what was so attractive to me. (laughs) Not for me, but okay. <laughs> Thanks. All right. What's another one? You want to hit one of these questions? Sure. Um, one of the questions that came through was, um, what would you tell your dating self? Mm-hmm. So if we understand the context of the question, it was if we could go back in time, which I love just that thought. I think about that a lot. Like, what would I go back and tell my 12-year-old self? Or what would I go back and tell my 18-year-old self? So this question came in, what would you go back and tell your dating self? And I assume it it revolves around the idea of dating. So I thought about it a little bit. I, I came up with a couple, maybe you have some others, babe, but I, I just have a couple things I would tell myself. Number one, I'd say go slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still see it today. It was definitely when you're in college, um, when you are dating, for me anyway, there was a sense of like almost like I have to find my wife or I have to find that girl I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. So there was always like that pressure. A lot of my friends were finding those people and and it created an unhealthy, I think unhealthy environment of being compelled to find this person. So there was always a sense in which I felt like I needed to be dating somebody. And so I would say to any of you in that situation, just go slowly. Um, a, a, a guy or girl, you know this, you just might need to be reminded, a guy or girl is not going to complete you, N- nor is a fiancé. Just being able to say, I have a fiancé, that's not going to complete you. I mean, you're two, you're still two distinctly separate people. And sometimes we get this idea that if I could just find that 
guy or that girl that I'm going to marry, everything's going to be great. It just doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. Here's what's important is your, your relationship with Jesus really has to be the most important relationship in your life. And that kind of leads to number two. This thought is not original with me, but it's still a fantastic one. You have to learn to become the person that would attract the kind of person that you want to attract. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Andy Stanley who originally said it, and, and he said it better than I did. He says, become the person that you're looking for is looking for. So if you think that, think about that, become the person that you are looking for is looking for. So if you're wanting to find a godly guy or a godly girl and somebody who will will love you and cherish you and has developed spiritual disciplines and spiritual habits, then you better have those things in your life. Because in the same sense that you're looking for someone like that, well, they may not be looking for you if you don't have those same things in your life. So again, I think it really all goes back to and starts with that relationship that you have with Jesus. Yeah. I would add too, we had a very different dating history. You had dated quite a bit in high school and I Mm -hmm. had not at all. And well, I had not much as -hmm. much as you. And so we came from very, very different perspectives. I would definitely agree with that. I would also add to that only date someone that you would see leadership and spiritual qualities in for marriage. Mm-hmm. So even in high school, for high school relationships, because we know that, that they're there and, and they exist and some can be really healthy and good. Um, but don't compromise even in high school on who you're dating with the thought of like, well, I probably won't marry him. Well, that is probably true. So if you're going to compromise that in those early years of dating, then you might end up making decisions that you really regret because you as a couple are not leading each other to Christ. Mm-hmm, right. And uh, it's, it's just dating is one of those areas where the, the concept of compromise should not even be in the vocabulary when it comes to sacrificing righteousness for mm-hmm. a companion mm-hmm, right. in, in that season. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that is good. Um, you know what we didn't touch on was, how did you know? I guess we can come back to that. How did you know that he or she was the one? We can come back to that at the end. Okay. Yeah. All right. What's another one on there that you want to hit? So someone sent this question in. Should a relationship with God model a romantic one? So we talked a little bit about yeah. trying to understand maybe what that, that question was getting at. We wonder if it was better understood. Should a romantic relationship model a relationship with, with God? <laughs> um but if it was relationship with God model a romantic one, um, I think the answer is no. <laughs> um, God is not your boyfriend. All right. So, so I think there's definitely some, uh, some challenges with that thinking. So, but let's look at it maybe the other way. Should a relationship, should a romantic relationship model a relationship with God? And, and I would say clearly, don't want to sound too simplistic, but, but yes. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for someone who calls themselves a Christ follower. It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Your relationship with Jesus has got to be the central relationship in your life. All other relationships then have to be evaluated and uh, kind of filtered by what Jesus calls you to be in a relationship. Um, So you could say then that it models, it should model a relationship with God in the sense that you ought to be with a guy or a girl who has the same kind of relationship with Jesus that you do, that they also want Christ to be at the center of this relationship from the very beginning. I've seen it so many times in relationships, married and unmarried alike, that if there is one person where God is not at the center of this relationship or maybe even their lives, that it rarely goes this way where the husband or wife can pull that person up into a relationship with Jesus. Oftentimes it goes the other direction, uh, sadly, but oftentimes the husband or wife that is not in a strong relationship with Jesus will pull the other person kind of down into that apathetic, complacent relationship with Christ. So back to the question then, should our romantic relationships model a relationship with God? Yes, in the sense that Jesus needs to be at the center of your romantic relationship, but that first starts with him being at the center of your personal relationship with him. Yeah. And, and to that point, you touched on this before, 
in no way, shape, or form can your your boyfriend, girlfriend, your your partner, your spouse fill the gap that only God can fill. Right. And and that is a, a critically important thing that we need to find all of our fulfillment in the person of Jesus and not expect our partner or our spouse or whoever we're with to be our savior, to be our constant companion, right. to be our unconditional, the, that one unconditional person who loves you no matter what. I mean, we want all of those things from a human standpoint, but we can't put our trust in those things because we will always be let down if that's the case. Right. There's only one savior and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one Messiah, if you will, that's Jesus Christ. Yeah. And we fill our lives with a lot of functional messiahs people or things that we look to, to uh, smooth out those rough edges in our lives or to kind of fulfill us uh, where we feel unfulfilled. Um, And that's nothing short of idolatry. And that's a huge word to use. I know we're on like a Valentine's Day podcast. But, keep it light, um, keep it yeah, light. Yeah, keep it light, right? <laughs> but no, we do it all the time where we kind of put things into our lives that we look to to fulfill us. Um, even people, even yeah. sometimes spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés. Uh, that's nothing short of idolatry because we're putting someone in the place of God in our lives. Yeah. You had mentioned about keeping God at the center and someone actually asked, how do you keep Christ at the center of a relationship? So from the standpoint, I mean, it sounds easy to to answer that, we'll just keep them at the center. But like practically, what does that look like? Yeah. So I thought about this a bit. um, And I was kind of the same way with you where I am am trying to think of some real practical ways to do that. So let me give you a few. There are a few things that I think have to be regular rhythms and regular routines in your life in order to effectively reach that conclusion that Christ is at the center. Here they are. Prayer. Uh, You've got to be praying. Uh, and, And I know sometimes, I mean, I remember like praying with a girlfriend was always like a really special thing. I would not recommend that. You know, um, I would not recommend praying with your boyfriend, girlfriend, like doing devotions with your boyfriend, girl. I, you know, and I know every situation is different. So if, if yours works, fantastic. For me, it was always, and I'm just being really uh, transparent here, but it was always kind of like a way to Mm-hmm. Uh, impress a Christian girl was mm-hmm. to kind of be the quote unquote spiritual leader in our relationship and lead us in prayer and lead us in devotions. But really at the, at the core of all of it was I was just trying to make an impression in an area of her life that I knew would land on soft ground. Yeah. And I think even to touch on that, um, I think what you're referencing is like, obviously like praying with your group of friends or oh, whatever, yeah. but like that deep level of intimacy where it's, a much more intimate time of praying together and worshiping together that can feel more um, serious, I guess, than an early casual dating mm-hmm. relationship. Can yeah. Be. Well, yeah. a spiritual connection is a very deep connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm really saying is tread lightly mm-hmm. um, before you're married yeah. in this. I mean, definitely guys, I believe you want to lead your, those special people that are in your life, those spe- special girls that are in your life, for sure, lead them to the to the throne. But just do it in a way that's um, aware of and cautious around those very deep spiritual feelings, especially for girls who just love Jesus and want to find a guy who yeah. loves Jesus. And to make sure that the motives are right. Right, yeah, not, for the guys. And that's kind yeah. of what I'm getting uh-huh. at. So prayer. Um but I think specifically, at least primarily, prayer in your own personal life. I mean, how are you going to keep Christ the center of your relationship? You've got to be praying for that probably before the relationship comes along. The second thing that's a huge habit is, are you in the Word every day? Are you in the Scriptures every single day? You know, three times a week just isn't enough. I mean, this is a collection of Old and New Testament books that were written over a period of thousands of years that God has preserved and given to us today. And within it are incredibly helpful, really incredibly helpful relationship directives Mm -hmm. that probably the majority of us don't even know they're in there because maybe we don't read the Bible that closely and that regularly. So I'd encourage prayer, being in your word, the third thing I'd say is, and I know I'm a pastor, but don't discount this. You got to be in and connected to a local body of believers weekly. Mm-hmm. It's not just like that. The average of what is it? 1.4 times per month that mm-hmm. most people attend church. It's got to be that you belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
that you are part of a local congregation. And, and I'd even add on to that maybe as a number four, that you're serving in that local congregation, that you are beginning to model a lifestyle of selflessness, maybe long before the ultimate representation of selflessness even comes along, which is marriage. You know, like your, your, your life has to be marked by the very things that you're going to need in marriage probably long before you need them. Yeah. Serving. I think that's a great point. Serving in the local church is such a great way for couples to not only grow their community and their, I mean, obviously just their commitment and their faithfulness to Christ, but it's a really, it's a amazing way to grow together because it's something that not only are you doing physically together in the same location, but it does create a, a deeper spiritual bond, a deeper spiritual connection, and uh, and puts you on the same playing field when when you're serving together in your your local church. Yeah, that's true. And and I would apply the same caution even that I did around like praying together yeah. and devotions together, just around serving together too. Uh, again, because it's it, those spiritual connections are so powerful for for guys and girls and men and women who really want to love Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Another question that came in. Um, is what do you do when you and your spouse are at an impasse with a decision? And we have been here before. Uh, We had Mm -hmm. a major, I mean, I will never forget it because we were, I don't know, a few years in to marriage and we were looking at ministry opportunities and we did not see eye to eye on an option that we had. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And, um... I mean, I'll just be completely transparent that I really was kind of digging my heels in to what I wanted and I wasn't allowing you to lead us in the way that you felt like we should, a direction that we should be going. And you honored me um, by just kind of surrendering, which is like such a, a sweet and godly thing to do, but kind of surrendering to what my desires were. And we ended up choosing, making a decision that was not the one that you wanted. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't say that that was the right way of handling it because I, like I said, I was really kind of digging my heels in, in what I wanted. And, but one thing that we did do during that was we sought counsel. Yeah. Right. And we actually met with a biblical um, Christian counselor who tried to help us because sometimes you just need a neutral set of eyes who, but also has that foundation of following and being led by Christ to help guide you and help you see what the the correct thing would be to do. Yeah. So the counsel piece is huge. Uh, you, you've got to get with someone who is able to not be affected by the emotions. Yes. Um, there are such strong emotions in those moments of disagreement within a marriage. Sometimes it's, you, you just can't see past them. So it's really good to meet with someone that you trust, maybe somebody who has done some conflict management, maybe in different parts of their lives as well. A counselor, I would recommend uh, just somebody who can see the issue and try to raise some questions around the issue that are free from the emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would also say, though, I mean, I would recommend strongly Ephesians 5 to apply here. Paul is writing and he uses some words that our culture have their cultures are arrested. Our culture has arrested and uh, made them really, really bad words. But the first one is the word submit. Mm -hmm. So when we hear the word submit, Paul says in in Ephesians chapter five, he tells wives to submit to their husbands. So we hear that word and right away we're thinking, Oh my goodness, that is bad, right? That means wife, you're just a doormat. That means wife, you're inferior. Mm -hmm. And that means wife that somewhere along the line, your husband has some kind of tribal authority over you. Like what I'm thinking of right now is some big dude all tattooed up with a bow and arrow. And he's like telling you whatever he's telling you, but he has some kind of crazy authority. I'm afraid that culture has redefined that word to make it a really bad thing. But what I don't want you to miss is in Ephesians 5, in the same section where Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. He also tells husbands to love their wives in a selfless way. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I read that, and this is what I want to just encourage listeners to realize, that's kind of the same thing, but on different sides of the issue. What I mean is, wives, yes, 
you are called to submit. That simply means to recognize the authority that has been placed on your husband. We recognize authority all day long. Mm-hmm. You stop at stoplights. Mm-hmm. I mean, you stop at stoplights because you think somebody with authority put them there. So you're right. going to obey the authority. So this idea of submitting to authority isn't isn't a bad thing, except when it sometimes can get into marriage conversation. Mm-hmm. So you have that on the on the wife side, but then again, you have on the male side, the men's side, to love your wives in in the way that Christ loves the church, which is an incredibly I mean, almost undefinable selfless love. Here's what I'm getting at. When, when you're both living that way, when you are in a relationship that's designed by God in which both people are seeking to put each other's needs, desires, convictions, goals, plans above their own, it's funny, the impasse may still be there, but now the impasse isn't who's going to get their way now the impasse becomes who's going to give up their way. And it's a completely different perspective. Yeah, that's good. And so that's, that's, I think that's what happened with us. Yeah. As I was thinking about this question a little bit, besides maybe that time, I can't really think of another time where we've had this massive impasse. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that there haven't been things that we have disagreed on? No. I mean, there have <laughs> been plenty of those. <laughs> But I, but I think as we grow in our understanding of what a marriage that glorifies God looks like, there's a lot more of that coming together and saying, you know, this is what I want, but I know it's not what you want. So, Andy, I'm going to submit to you, or Becky, I'm going to love you as Christ loved the church, and we're, we're going to go this way, we're going to go that way. Well, no, 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 I, I want to give you what you want. Well, no, I want to give you what you want, and it ends up kind of being that way. Yeah. And that honestly leads in, really well to one of the other questions that was directed to me. How do you show Andy that you treasure and desire his biblical leadership in marriage? And I think when Andy is doing exactly what he just described, it makes it really easy to follow because there's a, a huge element of trust that is established when you know that your husband or your fiance or, or even boyfriend is solely focused on who Jesus is and where he is leading us as a couple, it's real. It makes it so much easier to put my trust in you. And, and to be honest that I, I have a very strong personality. Yes. (laughs) I have strong opinions. I have strong ways of doing things, of wanting to do things. And so for me, this is sometimes a challenge. It, It really is to allow Andy to lead especially if there's a time where I maybe don't agree with the way he's leading us. And um, so I think it is a give and take. I think one of the things that we have been really good, not always perfect, but really good about acknowledging is that you are not my enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And he wants nothing more than to destroy marriages, all marriages, especially biblically focused Jesus serving and honoring marriages. He would love nothing more than to absolutely destroy them. And so when we can take ourselves out of a heated conversation or discussion or decision and realize that, wait, 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 when we clear our vision and really look at this from a 30,000 foot view, we can see that, that this is the enemy that's trying to get Mm -hmm. in between us and, and then we can unite to not let that happen. Right. Mm-hmm. That's good. So if you could go back and tell your 30-year-old self something, what would it be? Hmm. Well, I think I would definitely, I would definitely highlight some of the things that I know now at 43 uh, that I just didn't appreciate then. For instance, I would encourage myself, which sounds so weird to say, but I would encourage myself to let couples that have been married 10 to 12 or more years than us to just pour into us. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would, I would really look to make that more of a priority than I did. Yeah. Um, I would definitely tell, tell myself that I would also tell myself to beware of the thief of busyness. Mm hmm. I mean, here we are, we're raising kids. We've got a 16, a 14, a 12-year-old. 
not a day goes by that we aren't running in different directions mm-hmm. and not just for them, but they're just a part of it. But our careers, um, our, our personal appointments and obligations mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And busyness is a thief. And what it does is busyness comes in and takes your best and just leaves the remnants. And it's very hard to build a strong, um, like, a, what am I trying to say? Like a solid, strong marriage on the remnants of time. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. 100%. Oftentimes, like you and I at night when we go to bed, it'll be like the first time we've had a real conversation. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely tell myself that too, like beware this is coming. Yeah. Uh, also, and just kind of hinging on this, our 30-year-old selves, we had pretty much, we were done having our family. I mean, I we were 31 when we had Drew. So I think back to like, if I could tell ourselves something, the pre-children stage, I would say, use that time to really enjoy the things of life that just having kids will make more difficult, like travel, taking those weekend trips or, um, or week-long trips where you can go visit a place that once you have one or two kids in tow, it just doesn't make much sense. Um, and do some of those fun things that you don't want to put off thinking, oh, well, we'll get through grad school first, or we'll get through seminary first, or we'll get through this first, and then we'll do it. And then the next thing you know, you've got a family and your life has just moved into a completely different season. So I would definitely say take take advantage of those early years of just really enjoying each other and getting to know each other mm-hmm. um, on yeah. a deeper level, even even once you're once you're married. Yeah, and just one more quick one. I love that. I would also tell myself, realize that we probably don't expect the same thing out of this marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I see this a lot as I get counts or uh, couples ready to be married. Sometimes we think that marriage is creates the same expectations for everybody. I just don't think it does. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to have those talks early on, hopefully before you get married, like what are you expecting out of this? What are you expecting out of this? And just having those expectations out there and voiced, uh, it's so healthy. Yeah. Um, another one that came in was, what do you prioritize? And I don't know that this is necessarily just related to um, a marriage relationship, but. Yeah, um, I would say three things. Do I? Well, maybe four, but definitely this is the order they should be in. I prioritize, number one, my walk with Jesus. Because I realize if that's not good, then, then everything else is just not going to be good in my life. Yeah. Number two, I would say, um, is definitely my relationship with you. If that's not good, <laughs> everything else <laughs> is not going to be good. So that's pretty important. And then number three would be my relationship with my kids. And that's probably, right now anyway, the the one that creates the most opportunity for growth. Because <laughs> we have teenagers. Yeah. So those are the top three. And then the fourth one I would add, you know, I'm a pastor. I have a career. So yeah. that's my fourth one is is the church I lead and the people I get to uh, do ministry with. The big challenges, though, come when number four comes up over number three or number four Mm -hmm. comes up over two or number three comes up over two, you know, or or any of of them gets out of order. I mean, you really have to keep them in that order. God's number one. The person you're spending your life with is number two. The kids you're raising, if you have them, number three. And then your career is number four. It's so difficult to keep career, though, in number four, no matter what you do, whether you're a pastor or uh, you're in the marketplace, you, you in whatever it is that you do, number four just has this knack of creeping up the priority scale. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't join at number three or join at number two. It, it replaces what's there. Mm-hmm. And that's when things get really bad. Yeah. I would say, too, uh, with that, find, find something that you enjoy doing together, like an activity. And you and I have talked. That's kind of how we got into this discussion on how we were first attracted to one another a few weeks ago in the car because we are very, very different. Oh, and I'll tell you, this is <laughs> this is why in my car, it has two different keys. And so one is assigned to me and one is assigned to Andy. So when he gets in the car to drive and uses his key, it loads all of his radio stations. Rock stations. <laughs> and I hate them all. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're listening and I'm cringing as we're driving. And I, I said, what? And it's not even loud. It's know, so soft. I, I can barely hear it. I would love to crank it, <laughs> I but know. I know you don't want it. I know. But that's what prompted the question where I said, how in the world do we even get together? Because we really are opposites mm-hmm. in many, many ways. But I would say, 
as far as a priority to find something that you both do really enjoy doing together and then make it a habit of being intentional about that thing because you have interests that they're just not of interest to me as do I like I love live theater and musicals and things like that and you'll go and accommodate me but you don't love those right and you love things with motors and you like looking at them and walking around them and driving them and all of those things which isn't a huge love of mine so rather than making that become an issue in our marriage we've kind of allowed each other to if I want to go see a show, I might take our girls or Mm -hmm. go with my girlfriends. If you want to go look at cars, you'll go with some of the guys. Mm -hmm. And then we find things that we do like to do, which for us, a lot of the time is very uh, basic. I mean, I know when the weather's nice, we love to just sit out on our patio and Mm -hmm. have the fire pit going and just talk and catch up and enjoy just being outside. Mm -hmm. Um, But find those things and then make those an intentional priority throughout, throughout your weeks. True. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, So we've got a couple more questions as we're wrapping up our time here. Um, Another question that came in was, how do you keep the intimacy fresh and fun? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll jump in on this one. There's spiritual intimacy. Right, yeah. There's There's all kinds. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, so I'm just going to kind of go at it from the, the physical side, if that's, that's okay with you. Yeah, I think from. that's where the question's coming mm-hmm. from. It's funny. This is more of an issue in marriages than probably newly married people would ever think that it is, yeah. or mm-hmm. people who are engaged. I think a lot of engaged couples think that physical intimacy is going to be like the no-brainer. We just can't wait to be together. Yeah. Intimately. Yeah. I'm, I have a filter on right now. <laughs> so, but what I, what I find again, be, be doing quite a bit of marital counseling over the years is this is one of the top three reasons that there mm-hmm. is, um, that there's disagreement and really tough relational stuff within yeah. marriages. So this is probably deserving of an entire podcast in itself, <laughs> but I hope to just touch on a few quick things. There has to be open communication, number one. Yeah. So typically, it's guys want more, and the like. Girls guys are want okay. more physical, and girls want more emotional. For sure. Yes. Yes. And I'm kind of looking at the the physical, the physical. side of mm-hmm. it. So it's often where men, guys, will feel a sense of um, their like dissatisfaction with yeah. the frequency. We could say. Sure. If you don't communicate that to your wife then of course nothing is going to change. But then let me talk to to wives quickly here. If you don't receive that from your husband and are willing to have what feels maybe like an awkward conversation, then things aren't going to change. So here's how I like to look at it. I think the relationships that work through this well are relationships that are able to have a sympathetic understanding of each other's needs. So there are two words there, sympathy and understanding. Mm -hmm. Sympathy, what is that? It's, it's, a willingness to walk in the shoes of another person. We've talked about this a lot in 2020 with uh, um, some of the racial issues that are in our country and equality issues and learning to walk in the shoes of someone with a different skin tone than we have and try to see things from their point of view. Well, we can apply that same, um, that same challenge or impetus in our relationships too, that husbands try to walk a day in your wife's shoes and see, and see what it's like for her. But wives, Try to walk a day in your husband's shoes and see what it's like for him. That's that sympathy part of it. And then the word understanding is important. What I mean by that is you may, wives, you may not agree with, with what your husband's wanting. And husband, you may not agree with what your wife is wanting. But if you have sympathy for them, mm-hmm. there's a sense in which you're like, you know, because I love you and because I see what the, and how important this is mm-hmm. to you, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to flex and bend a little bit for you in this, in this way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree with that. And we've talked a lot about this. We've talked about this when we've done dual counseling together that there are seasons of life, especially for the wives when you're in the throes of raising babies and toddlers and maybe you work from home and that is your you know, diapers and baby food is the entirety of your day. The last thing you want at the end of the day is another, another thing. And 
And so sometimes it just needs to be a, a like a priority that a wife commits to, even if it's not something that maybe is at the top of the list that day. Yeah, that she really and, wants to do. And yeah. those are those conversations that Andy was just saying of just being completely open and transparent. And um, it's it's giving to one another. It's submitting to one another. It is surrendering. It's sacrificing. It's, you know, it's that give and take of um, meeting each other because it's not, we always say this with couples, it's not 50-50. You go in 50% and I go in 50%. It's 100-100. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's a, it is unfortunately a challenging conversation and topic within a lot of marriages and does cause a lot of, of problems. But it also was designed, I mean, God designed it to be very uniting mm-hmm. and emotionally binding, spiritually binding, physically binding, you know, all of those things, which is also why it's so important that it's reserved and preserved Mm -hmm. within the marriage covenant. Yeah. And I would add that for a husband, a definition of what he wants is pretty simplistic, but the wife, she might need to spend a little bit more time defining what she's wanting. For example, she may say, well, I just want to feel loved and cherished by you. A husband simply, I mean, we can be pretty thick-headed at times. We just may not know really what that means. And so we'll try something over here. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll buy a rose or we'll buy a bouquet mm-hmm. of flowers for you. We think we're loving and cherishing you, which then means that we've kind of held up our side of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So then we have an expectation that there's going to be physical intimacy as a result of that. But really, you couldn't care less about flowers. Right. So... Like I said, guys, our definition of physical intimacy is pretty simple. I mean, you know, but I think for the for the wives, there just needs to be a little bit more, generally speaking, I'm being yeah. very general here, there needs to be a little bit more opening of what does it mean when you say, I want to be loved and cherished, or I want you just to help around the house. T- tell us what that even looks like. Right. Treat us like we have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, treat us like we have no idea what you're saying. Get the crayons out and the paper and write it out. Because I'm telling you, I speak for all men everywhere. We would love to know exactly what you want. Because after all, I'm fun and I had a great car. You had a great car with a bag phone. <laughs> all right. Well, we are almost out of time and we have a couple more questions. We're going to do these um, right here. These are these are some easier ones, babe. So we don't okay. have to think as, as hard for these. But you just mentioned expectations. And I'm actually going to, this one wasn't on our list. This question's coming from me. But I know you know the answer. What's okay. your love language? Uh, words of affirmation. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is mine as well. That's my number one. So anyone who, I'm sure by now everyone has heard of Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, and they are words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, physical touch, and what's the last one? Uh, gifts. Gifts, gifts. Yeah. And uh, both of us, I would say, are predominantly words of affirmation, but what Andy was just mentioning regarding expectations, if yours is words of affirmation and mine, let's say is quality time. And I'm always trying to spend quality time with you and never telling you how much I love and admire and appreciate you. My quality time that I'm trying to create is not going to mean the same thing to you. Or if yours is gifts and you're just trying to shower me with something all the time. And all I want you to do is tell me that you're proud of me. Then those gifts don't carry a lot of weight, although they might be nice. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's a that's another fun exercise to do with your whoever you're dating or yeah. engaged or whatever. Yeah, we tend to speak in our own language. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, here's here's the last one. What is a favorite date for us? Um, I would say for us, I just like to go downtown, find a rooftop somewhere yeah. on a nice night. You know, it's comfortable to sit outside. You're not cold, not hot. Overlook the city. Me too. Just sit out there for a couple hours and then go somewhere for dinner in a bit of an off-the-beaten-path restaurant yeah. that has great food, great experience, and uh, and then head home. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Someone asked about some some cheap dates, and I feel like a lot of our... one. I mean, once you're married, I feel like we spend a lot of time that aren't necessarily carved-out dates, but, you know, we'll go and sometimes play tennis together. Or we'll just take a walk together or... Um, we'll hop on our bikes and, and mm-hmm. do that together. So mm-hmm. there have been a lot of opportunities that we've had to spend time together without actually like planning out a night right. that costs a lot of money. But I'm with yeah. you. That's one of my favorite dates is to just 
go find a great rooftop with a great view yeah. and, mm-hmm. and enjoy an evening outside. I'd love when the weather changes and we can be outside and enjoy all of yeah. those things. So anything else you want to add to this conversation? No, I, I mean, maybe just encourage if anyone has other questions. I mean, I'd, I'd love to try to help if we can. Yeah. And if you do, you could follow Andy and myself on social media platforms. He's at Andy Ziegenfuss, Z-I-E-G-E-N-F-U-S-S. And I am at Becky Ziegenfuss. You can private message us and we can answer any additional questions that you have. I hope that this has been helpful. I know since it is the season of love, it's fun to talk about all the things. So thanks, babe, for coming on. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Sharing with me. It was fun. Guys, we had one more question that we completely skipped over, but we wanted to touch on. So hang with us. We're going to go through one more question with you all. And the question that came was, what are some big life lessons that you have learned through being married? So there have been quite a few that we have learned. And honestly, most of them revolve around our differing personalities. And although God wired us uniquely, to have specific personalities, they come with some strengths and they come with some weaknesses. So babe, you want to get into it first and then I'll jump in. Yeah, for sure. I think what we've realized, and it's not just for us, I think it's in marriages and I would even broaden it to a lot of close relationships that the more time you spend together in various different circumstances, some very stressful, some very fun, all those different emotions you start to see things in your personality that aren't really good simply because you're spending a lot of time with someone. Right. Whereas when you're dating, you know, all that you, you have like your best foot forward the whole time. Yeah. And you often overlook what you think you could just put up with. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yep. And so, I mean, I think of a couple of things right away in, in my own life, things that marriage have has highlighted. The one is that I can be pretty critical and I often will see what's wrong in a situation before I see what's right. And I know that's hard on you. I know that can be really hard on the kids. And so I wish I could say that it's something that in a matter of, you know, one sleep, it's gone, you know, 24 hours later, but it's just not. So for me, it's definitely something that I have to regularly remind myself to point out the positive, point out what's really good, and then not ignore what can be better, but maybe approach it more as, um, like my role as a mentor, my role as a father, as a husband, things like that, trying to make the other person better. Yeah. And one way that I have learned to kind of help in that way is to create an environment at home that allows you to come home from a day of work and kind of walk, I don't want to say like walk into a haven, like that sounds so, daddy's home, come come walk into the haven. But I do try to have an environment that, it's going to get picked up at some point during the day anyway. So might as well get picked up before you're home. Cause I know Mm -hmm. that that is just the way you're wired that you, you know, you can walk in and see what needs to be fixed Mm -hmm. before what is already in good shape. So that's one way that we've worked together as a couple to Mm -hmm. help with that. And I would also say that marriage has highlighted another difficult lesson for us. And that is, that words are powerful. Um, I think it's James who says that the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. And if you know anything about ships, right? I mean, the rudders are small compared to the whole of the boat, Mm -hmm. but the rudder can, can really change the direction of the ship. Words can tear down what took you years to build. Words can tear down in a matter of moments. Mm -hmm. And that's a a grim reality of the power of words. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage anybody listening, uh, really learn to tame the tongue, really learn to filter. Well, and that's what happens. I mean, we all have filters on. It's just in those moments of, of extreme emotion, the filters run a little thin. And then what's inside our hearts is, is what ends up coming out of our mouths. And then we're surprised. We're like, I can't right. believe I said that. Mm-hmm. Well, you did. It was in your heart. That was what there, what was there all along. Right. And there's that verse in in Song of Solomon, actually, I was thinking Proverbs, Song of Solomon that says, beware of the little foxes, the foxes that run around to destroy the vineyard that's in bloom. Right. And I think of words are one of those things that 
They seem very insignificant. The little things that creep into marriages that seem like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Those are the little foxes. And when you think of, we've had some animals in our backyard that have Mm -hmm. done damage. And when you think of these small little animals that can do just an incredible amount of damage, if you don't get rid of them right away, you can, you can take this, this beautiful home, this beautiful marriage, these beautiful children and allow these little incremental things to just over time destroy what was so good and what was so beautiful. So it's, it's been great. I think the fact that we have studied so much in various personality tests and um, growth opportunities and things like that have really helped us relate to each other better, relate to our kids better, um, kind of peel back some of the scales off of our eyes. I know I'm really good at, at buffering things mm-hmm. uh, almost to a fault where I will try to buffer a situation or a scenario just to kind of keep the peace, even when mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. maybe some tension is needed and maybe some friction is needed and some, some firmer hand hands are needed in that particular situation. So mm-hmm. it's been good. And I think the, the primary takeaway for us and, and for everyone listening is that there's always work to be done and right. you were going to be married for hopefully decades longer. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't think we'll ever come to a place where we're like, yep, we've got it. We've right. nailed it. We don't have to work on marriage anymore. Right. So true. So thanks. If you are at all familiar with the most popular passage about love in scripture, you probably have heard these verses. First Corinthians 13, four through seven tells us what true love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And whether you are in a romantic relationship or even friendships, any type of relationship, that is the definition of true love. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with my Valentine, Andy, this week. And as we move into the week of love and Valentine's Day, I hope you find some time this weekend to celebrate the people or the person whom you love. Thanks again for being part of the Let It Be podcast. We'll see you next week.